0: Here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning. Great to see everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you've warmed up a little bit. We're glad and grateful that you are here. We apologize. Our screens went out shortly before you arrived, all right? Just all of that positive energy just blew the circuits or something. So uh, we're just, we're going to, we're going to roll with it. Uh, But if you have a copy of God's Word, old-fashioned Bible, all right, go to Hebrews chapter number three. We're going to go a little bit old school. What I would say is uh, you can go to the Southridge app where the notes are there. And, and then you could pull that up. You say, well, why wouldn't you say go to the South app and get the notes? Because yesterday I was in my Bible reading and God was like, yeah, you know that sermon that you have ready and prepped and ready to go? Yeah, we're not going to do that one. You could save that one. We'll, we'll, we'll do that another time. And so the notes have slightly changed, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter number three. As we begin this morning, we're in a series entitled Believe and it's a challenge today because we live in a culture that we've said oftentimes we only go by what we can see or what we're aware of. And many times when we, when we make steps, it's not always faith-based. Even though we're Christians and we claim to make every decision by faith, we don't always We make it by the wisdom that God's given us or we make it on uh, what's comfortable, the mood, whether or not we've had enough Starbucks that day. Uh, Let's just be honest how sometimes we make decisions and then we come back maybe after the fact and say, oh, yeah, maybe I prayed about it. Maybe there was some faith. But we want to be a group of people that make decisions based on our beliefs. This week I was watching a documentary. And I was, I was into it a little bit. Just kind of, it was a Nat Geo documentary that I was just kind of watching. And I was watching this guy climb up a volcano. And I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, guy climbing up a volcano He's doing a great job. Uh, I do not ever see myself climbing up a volcano. I'd rather watch somebody else climb up a volcano. And this guy was doing superb. And the documentary, in case you want to check it out, is from Nat Geo. And it is and called Welcome to Earth. And then the voice of it is Will Smith. And all of a sudden he turns and he says, oh yeah, yeah, by the way, this guy that just hiked up this volcano with me and we rappelled down at the volcano. Yeah, he's blind. (laughs) Nobody was guiding him. The entire time you're watching this guy just hike up this mountain like it's nothing. I mean, I don't think I would have done as good of a job as he did. Come to find out. His name is Eric. Eric in 2001 also climbed Mount Everest as a blind person. He's been blind since he was 12 and he's hiked all of the major peaks around the globe. He's a mountaineer, he's an adventurer. All of a sudden, it takes the verse, 1 Corinthians 5, verse seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight, to a real meaning, doesn't it? I I think Eric has more faith than I do sometimes. Here's a guy who climbed K2, Mount Everest, with no sight. It's incredible the things he's done. It's incredible to think the things that God wants you and I to do, and we have sight. But I think that's actually what gets in our way, is our sight. I think too often you and I see things that look so big, so insurmountable, so intimidating, that's actually what stops us from believing for bigger things. You see, for a man like Eric, who lost his sight from a child, it was like, well, why not do it? He never had a question. He's just, as a matter of fact, Will Smith is on the same adventure with him. And you could tell as an actor, he's like, where's my stuntman at? That's, that's who does this. He's like, I, I, I don't climb. I have a stunt guy who climbs. I, it's never me. It's always somebody else. I just read the line. And then here's Eric, a blind guy, like, don't worry. I promise you, you will survive. And he's like, here's a blind guy helping me make it up this volcano, make it down And it's amazing that God is saying the same thing to us. God is saying, you don't need to walk by that sight. You need to believe as we go forward. And we are going forward in this season saying, Lord, we need your help to go forward because too often we're relying on maybe our past experiences. We're relying on our wisdom and our judgment and those can lead us astray. So with that in mind, please turn to Hebrews chapter number three, if you would. It's a long passage of scripture But I need full context as we dive in. Because this passage of scripture is really talking about the sufficiency of Christ. And I know that's a big word. So here's another way to look at it. It's looking at how Jesus is a better Moses. And I know that may still be confusing. But we're going to read the passage. And we're going to get to why this is such an important passage this morning. Notice if you would, verse number one. And I'll read it out. I know we don't have it on the screens. I apologize. But you just listen and follow along. Verse number one, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Let's stop at verse number nine. What is he speaking of? You see, the children of Israel, they got to see the 10 plagues with their very eyes. They got to see the Nile turned to blood. They got to see as... Hailstones descended over Egypt, but in their land of Goshen, nothing happened. They saw as there was pitch darkness over the land of Egypt, but yet over Goshen, right in the middle of Egypt, there was sunlight. They saw as the plagues would ravage Egypt, would not touch them. They saw as they came to the Red Sea, they saw Moses put his rod in the Red Sea and it split they saw as they wandered through the wilderness and ran out of food, they saw manna appear every morning on the ground. And as if that wasn't enough, they wanted meat, they wanted protein. Every day, God would send quail, fresh quail, and they would eat quail. And as if that wasn't enough, God said, hey, I'm going to give you a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'm going to give you water from the rock. God is saying, I'm taking care of you. It also says that their sandals never wore out. Talk about everlast. <laughs> Man, that's, that's pretty incredible. So here, they had all that. They saw these things with their eyes. But what the passage is getting at, in verse number nine, he's saying, their hearts still got hard. After seeing that, they still wanted to rebel against God. What the scripture is driving at is they still, even though they saw it, they didn't believe it. You and I are in danger of seeing God move in mighty ways. Seeing him restore, seeing him save, seeing him come through in one season. Then the very next season, we have a heart of rebellion and coldness towards God. So the scripture goes on and warns us, don't harden your heart. As in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers, they tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works. For 40 years, God said I was faithful. For 40 years, God showed up. For 40 years, they never had to go to the grocery store. For 40 years, God was like, I've got everything that you're gonna need. And what do they do with that? Verse 10, therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest beware brethren lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you harden through the deceitfulness of sin for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast till the end while he said Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in Because of unbelief. You know, there was two generations. There was the first generation that we see in Numbers chapter number 13. They came to the Jordan River. And they said, it's time. We've been wandering around for 40 years. We're ready to get out of this desert and go into the promised land that God has given to us. So Moses sent 12 spies. If you grew up in the church, you might remember it. Sent 12 spies. Two came back with a good report. We are well able to take it. Ten came back with an evil report. Said, we're grasshoppers. We're going to get defeated. And that, that group of 10 took the whole nation of Israel and led them in rebellion and said, no, 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 let's not go in. We can't do it. They didn't believe. Their unbelief caused it so they didn't enter into the promised land. You see, I always thought it was fear that kept them out of the promised land. So I've never tried to be led by fear. Because they were afraid. They said, hey, the the giants are there. The the sons of Anakim are are there. And and we shouldn't go after them. We're just like grasshoppers. I thought it was fear. This passage is letting us know it was their unbelief. You see, too often, you and I, we will look at a battle and say, no, I can't believe. The situation is too difficult. It's too impossible. Or you'll look at your budget and say, no, I don't believe. My budget doesn't allow for it. I can't. And we allow unbelief to keep us from doing or going where God wants us to. You see, this is powerful. So write this down if you're taking notes. There's notes on your seat. First of all, unbelief is God is really a belief in a lie. You see, many times we think, well, it's just unbelief. No, no, it is a belief in the wrong thing. It's the belief of a lie. What was the lie the children of Israel believed? We're grasshoppers. We're weak. We can't do it. You see, you never just not believe you actually are believing a false truth. You see, you and I are always believing something. We're either believing the right thing or the wrong thing, the truth or a lie. The children of Israel actually still believe, they just believed in the lie. Christians, we believe a lot of lies. We believe lies about ourselves, lies about our situation. We don't just stop believing, we actually believe the wrong thing. You talk to an atheist, they say, well, I don't believe in a God. No, you actually believe a lie that there is no God. You do believe. And may I say, you have more belief than a Christian. You talk to somebody who says, oh, I don't know if God can come through. I don't know if God can save. They are believing in God's weakness. That's what they're believing in. We need to reshape what we think about belief. Too often when we say, oh, I just don't have enough faith, what you are saying is I actually have faith in the wrong thing. I believe in my weakness is stronger than his strength. I believe that I'm not able to so this morning we need to see that this passage is really speaking about the belief that the lie that they followed so this is why in verse 7 it says today if you will hear his voice God's voice is the voice of truth Satan is the father of lies so we need to be turning tuning into God's voice what did we say last week God's vision comes from God's voice so today listen to God's voice Every day say, Lord, speak to me out of your word. God, speak to me because I need a vision that you've given to me and it only comes from your voice. You see, their unbelief is simply an unwillingness to trust God. Do you realize that? You say, oh, I could never step out and serve. Oh, I could never talk to my coworker. Oh, I could never try to forgive them. Oh, I could never be a part of the building program. Oh, I could never do that. No, no, no. What you're really saying is your unbelief is simply an unwillingness to trust God. That's really what it is. And Satan wants nothing more than God's church, Christians, to live a life of unbelief he wants you trapped in unbelief he doesn't want you to ever go forward because the moment you and I start believing that God can really do what we sing about and what we encourage others about and what we put on our Instagram little verses that we want the likes and the comments if we would really believe that stuff this world would be totally different but we have post-it faith and it's not a real personal faith it's good for you but it doesn't work for me I'm just here for the clicks the likes and the shares I'm not here because I'm about to live it or believe it. And God is trying to get the church to say, hey, you don't want to be like that generation that fell. You don't want to be like that generation that missed out on the promises of God. You don't want to be the person that missed out saying, huh, what could have been? Where should I have been? What could I have done for God? It was unbelief. Unbelief and sin are deceitful because when we don't believe God, we don't stop believing We simply start believing the lie. And some of you are just believing a lie. Unbelief isn't weakness of faith. It sets itself in opposition to faith. When we have people in the church who don't believe that God can move the mountain, you are actually setting yourself in opposition to the work of God. You realize that, right? Think about it. Think about it. There were 10 people that said, no, 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 we can't go in the promised land. So what did they do? They became the opposition to Joshua and Caleb. Scripture literally says in Numbers 13, they took up stones. They said, we're going to kill these two. You're going to kill Joshua and Caleb? Are you kidding me? Do you know who Joshua is? Joshua's the guy that did the job nobody else wanted to do. What was that job? Wherever Moses went, Joshua was right there. When the entire nation of Israel was sinning, worshiping a little golden calf, dancing around some wild thing that they were doing where was Joshua he was up on the mountain that's where Joshua was Joshua was the tent keeper he was one that says wherever Moses is I'm just the default guy that just follows him everywhere I'm just staying close to him for 40 years that's what Joshua did wherever you saw Moses there was Joshua Joshua just made it his role I'm going to stay as close to Moses as I can and here these guys are like we want to kill these two you see, when you and I live a life of unbelief, we become opposition to the work of God. And I've seen it. I've, se- I've literally seen the work of God moving forward. Things are happening. Uh, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. Things are being built. There is vision. And then somebody gets upset because their name wasn't mentioned or they didn't get their seat or somebody didn't say hello to them or, or, or somebody didn't sing their song or, or something was too loud or something was too quiet. And all of a sudden, what they do is they set themselves in opposition to God. And can I tell you right now, Satan is looking for somebody to say, hey, uh, I can't get into that church. They put a hedge of protection. They learned how to pray. There's a hedge of protection about there. So guess what? I need one of you to be my insiders. I need you to destroy that thing and blow that thing up. I need you to get all mad about something. I need you to get jealous. I need you to get gossiping. I need you to get sinning. I need you to let lust. I need you to do something because I can't get in because they prayed ahead. So I can't get in there. So then he looks for a Christian to do his dirty work you say, what's the dirty work? Unbelief. Because unbelief will set you in opposition. I got an email last week and somebody was like, oh, I just don't know if you should preach like that. I don't know if you should do that. And I was just like, hey, let's have a conversation. Don't just send me a, 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 you got bold on a text message. Let's open the Bible and let's talk about it. Because if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong. Because that gets me closer to the truth. If I'm wrong. But what I've noticed about people that want to challenge me, the moment I say, hey, let's sit down and talk it over with God's word, because God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's see if I'm wrong. They never want to have that conversation. They don't. If you see something that's going on with your pastor, have the conversation. Don't just assume. Don't let that become a root of bitterness in your life, where you just leave and we never see or hear from you again. No, no, no. We want to be a place that says we believe in God, and we're going to move forward. I'm not going to allow something that I may see as some political ideology, and that's what we see a lot of happening. People have their politics on one way or the other, and they're trying to interpret that a certain way, and trying to trying to get everybody on that side. And I need a church that's on my side. Remember when Joshua was about to go to Jericho, he saw the angel of the Lord. Are you for us or for our enemies? What did the angel Lord say? Neither. Nobody's, I'm not on anybody's side. You need to be on my side. How many sides are there to a coin? Three. We think heads or tails. No, there's a third side. Look at the coin. Put it flat. There's a third side to it. There's always a third option. The third option is we get on God's side. We say, Lord, I want to be on your side. That's what we need. What keeps us out of the promised land? every Christian. It's not evidence. What keeps you and I from believing God for bigger and better things is never evidence. Never once have I met a Christian that stopped believing and said, there just wasn't enough evidence. No. We have tons of evidence. There's evidence all around. We see changed lives. We saw four people go and get baptized last week, and that is life change. That's exciting. That is where you know God is moving. We don't ever want to be a church that gets used to not seeing people baptized. If people are not being saved and baptized regularly in this church, go find a new church. And if you go to a church where they're not regularly seeing people saved and baptized, it's not doing the work that God has called them to. We are called to see life change. That's what we're called to do. So first of all, we see unbelief in God as really a belief in a lie. Secondly, if God spoke the word, he will always show the evidence. Verse number nine says, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Never once does it mentioned then, oh yeah, there was those few times I, 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 I forgot to send Michael down with the manna. I'm sorry, guys. It was a busy weekend, all right? I just had a lot going on. You should have seen what the Amalekites were up to, and you should have seen those Edomites. They were, they were getting into Oh my goodness, it was frustrating. So I forgot the manna. Give me a break. No, God said for 40 years, I was faithful to you. For 40 years, I was consistent. I was always there. You know, God has never not been there for us. God has been there far more than we possibly imagine one day this is going to be cool go to the room where you say hey God I want to see all the playback tapes of my life where all the angels were stopping all the stuff that should have happened to me I want to go watch that video the behind the scenes all right I want to go see that my uh, that's what my mom was praying for my grandmother was praying for my grandfather was praying for they kept me out of that mess I want to see those tapes one day we're going to get to see wow God you did all that I I had no idea we should just stop and thank God for all the things we don't see you think things are bad? I'm sure God's like, You have no idea how bad they were supposed to be. You have no idea what was supposed to go on. And we need to step back and say, Lord, thank you for the evidence, because God always supplies His vision with His provision. That's good. God gave man in the wilderness quail for meat, water from a rock, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. The psalmist said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Yeah. God said, I've never seen it. I know with all the poverty, everything going on in the world, we're just like, God, where are you? And God's like, I'm always there, always working. I know it's hard on people right now. I know it's difficult. And on top of it, we're in a building program. We're asking people to help us raise $10 million to build a building. Oh my goodness, what are we thinking? We're just saying, Lord, we believe. And we're just taking the next step. We just believe that God can do it. But I love what verse 13 says. If you're struggling with belief, he gives us a remedy. Verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He's getting practical here. He says, hey, encourage others to believe. Believe. When you get in a small group, when you see each other at the grocery store, when you're around each other, encourage them to believe. Don't allow them to give in and get you all down and discouraged. Say, no, 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 let's encourage one another. We need that encouragement. We need to be around other people, and that's a ministry we can have, to encourage one another. Get some brothers to help you believe. Get some people to help you. But I notice this. God's evidence follows our obedience. Many of us are like, well, I want to see the evidence, and then I'll obey. And God said, that's not how it works. My evidence follows your obedience. What was the obedience? Moses, I need you to strike the rock. Moses, I need you to step into the Red Sea. Children of Israel, I need you to step into the River Jordan. Hey, uh, lad, I need your lunch and your loaves. I need you to obey and then you will see the evidence. See, the church is living in a day and age where we want to see God come through with the evidence and then we'll, we'll, we'll obey. God's saying, no, 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 you obey first. You always obey first. Your children want cookies. You say, Did you make your bed? No, but I'm going to. Okay. I'm trusting you. Here's some cookies. You promise you're going to go make your bed. Three hours later, Did you make your bed? No. Chocolate chip all over. Oh, Amen. Come on, parents. You don't ever do that. You know better. God is our heavenly father. He knows better. And sometimes we feel like, well, God should just trust me. He don't and I don't. (laughs) I think that's funny. You and I, we don't even trust our own kids, but we expect God to just trust us. Like, trust me, God. God's like, are you kidding me? You see how many times I tried trusting you? How many times did you just blew it? But yet God is good as he does. But yet obedience is first and the root of obedience is our belief. But too many times what happens is we're waiting on God to move. Peter had to step out of the boat. Then the water got hard. It wasn't like, okay, hey, there's a, that's, that's really nice. This is the Sea of Galilee. And look at that. It just froze over. I can step on it. That's not what happened. That's not at all what happened. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going to stand up for God and going to be led to the uh, burning, fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, God's like, okay, guys, you stood excellent. Now watch this. I'm going to send an angel, and we're going to snuff out that fire just like it was a birthday candle. That's not what happened. I know that freaked a lot of you out that I just blew that air. You're like, COVID, man, what you doing? I can't believe you blew like that. I hope that made you feel better. I'm sure I offended somebody by doing that. (laughs) But when it comes to you and I stepping out on faith, we're like, God, show the evidence first. And God's like, well, where's faith? Where is it? For we walk by faith, not by sight. But yet we want that Christian life to change where we walk by sight and not by faith. And God's like, but without faith, it's impossible to please me. God has instituted that you and I grow in this thing of faith, grow in belief. God wants to do something. And yet the Christian life is constantly this tug of war where we're like, no, you and I, we need to step back and we say, you know what? I believe because God said it. But believing is not about overcoming God's reluctance. Some of us feel like somehow we just need to overcome God's reluctance to help us. Like, that's what you think prayer is all about. Like, I just need to get God to change his mind. God's a little reluctant on helping me. So if I just pray hard enough and long enough, maybe I can get God's reluctance to go. That's not what believing and what prayer is all about. It's not that we serve a reluctant God. That's not it at all. And some of you, that's what you kind of have this preconceived notion when you pray and when you believe. It's that God is a little bit reluctant. And so I need to kind of like that, you know, that, that, that groom on his wedding day, a little bit reluctant about to say his vows. I don't know. Is it too late? Where's the door? Where's the getaway vehicle? A little reluctant. No, God's not reluctant at all. God can't wait to do something. He wants to do it through somebody who says, I just trust you completely. Yeah. Why is it that God uses the people, the greatest, the ones that are just like, all right, God, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do, let's go. They just have crazy audacity. They just believe God. Yeah. Why is it that those are the ones that God seems to use in the most profound ways? Because God is looking for somebody who demonstrates that much faith in him. Because here's what I've learned. When a Christian puts all of his belief in God, that is the most powerful testimony to a world who does not know God, that he is real. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be a living testimony that God is real. People at your work don't understand why you would tithe, why you would serve, why you would go to the hospital, and why you would you do wrap gifts and give them away to the poor, and why you would you make meals. They don't understand why you go on mission trip. They don't understand that, and then they hear because you believe in God, and God tells you to take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor, and then they hear that, and they're like, oh, so you actually believe God is real, and you're like, yeah, I do, and they're like, oh, maybe I need to rethink what I believe, Maybe I need to rethink the way I live. You see, our belief is what changes everything. You see, sometimes we feel like believing and praying are all about changing God's mind. You know, in Mark chapter number six, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. Scripture tells us that there he could do no mighty works. And it gives us the reason why. Because of their unbelief it said he laid his hands on a few sick but he couldn't do their any mighty works you see the mighty works that God wants to do is totally proportional to the belief that we have in him how is your belief you see I'm all in on this thing I'm all in I'm very concerned about the church today I'm very concerned because the church today, for the most part, is run like a business. Where if we have the right worship, where if the screens work, where if the pastor's message is 22 and a half minutes long, where if it's a little more like a Tony Robbins inspirational truth seminar, nothing out of the Bible, don't ever do anything political or on the edge. And man, you could grow a church that way. And it works, because we got a culture of Christians now that that's what you want. And then you're surprised when the pastor who's given you what you want has a spectacular moral failure. You're like, oh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> Why? Nothing about the work had anything to do with God. Like, anybody could do it. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos could do it. He's got more money. He could do it better. But what we don't have is Christians that say, I just believe God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'll do the best that I can. But I want to see what God will do. And then when he shows up, when he does the miracle, and when he shows up, people will know. It wasn't me. It was all God. That's what I want to see. And I'm willing to risk it all, bet the farm, give everything away, because I love God. No man putting his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom. you know, 10 years ago. A miracle happened for Jane and I almost 10 years ago to the day. You see, the economy had just tanked. Many of you, unfortunately, lost your homes. Some lost jobs. And it was a very depressing time in the Silicon Valley. Jane and I were renting a house across from Oak Grove High School. The owner of the house... Had said, "Hey, I've I've lost my house. So you guys got to find somewhere else to live." At the time, I was a pastor at Liberty Baptist Church on the East Side. Jane was a teacher there. Our combined salary was sixty-eight thousand dollars—big money. We were looking around at where rent was going, and we were priced out of being able to rent. The person who was letting us rent the house had given us such a good deal, and now now we're kind of stuck. So my wife said, let's go around the corner here. There's a house that's having an open house. Let's go in. I said, we don't have any money for this house. She said, I know, but I kind of want to see it. I'm going to borrow a chair for this. This is going to be a little bit long. Thank you, keyboard player. You're going to be up there for a while. (laughs) So we walked in, and we met Keiko. She was a real estate agent. Japanese woman, super sweet. She said, oh, this house is really cheap. It's only $480,000. I said, oh, man, that is $479,000 than I have. (laughs) She said, I'll be your agent. I said, what for? I can't even get two cardboard boxes, duct tape them together. I'm a pastor. I would ride my bike to the east side seven and a half miles because I couldn't afford gas for my car. And I'd ride back. My bike broke down right at center and capitol. I called my wife and I said, you need to get me quick. She said, why? I'm white. <laughs> Just being real. And I'm small. <laughs> and I need a POC here. <laughs> Quickly. She showed up, picked me up, and we started looking at houses. We had no money. We had maybe 10, not even 10,000 in the bank in our savings. Our savings was about $9,000. That's not enough to buy a house. Even with the market the way it was, it's not enough money. Our real estate agent said, hey, you should try a down payment assistance program. I said, okay, I'll I'll apply. There was one, it was the Housing Trusts of Santa Clara County. They said, we'll give you 20% down for 0% interest. I was like, sign me up. This is great, this is what I need. They said, but the home has to be in a depressed neighborhood. I said, that's fine, I'm depressed. They look depressed, it's a depressed neighborhood. This is easy. And then they said, you also have to get the seller's agent and your agent to decrease their commission to 2%. instead said, a three. I said, okay. They also said, you need to get and make sure it's either a short sale or a foreclosed home. I said, well, there's lots of those. And then they said, and then you need to go to the bank that owns the house that's selling it and they need to discount it by 1%. <sighs> Are you kidding me? I got to jump through all these hoops? So we went to work. And about this time, 10 years ago, we found 106 Malin Court. Many of you have been there. Many of you have been over to my house. We made an offer with all of our stipulations. It didn't get accepted. We were just like, well, okay, well, we're going to trust the Lord. Keep on moving. Meanwhile, we need to be out of the house that we're in. And then I can't remember if it was, I get, I get emotional how good God is. It's, it's, God is good. He's so good. And so I can't remember if it was New Year's or if it was Christmas Eve. Our agent called us and she said, you got the house? I was like, that's great. We got the house. That's awesome. She said, the guy who had it brought his brother over. And his brother said, this is a dump. You don't want it. Because a lady had lost her husband, and she was depressed and let dogs in, and the house was just a mess, just a mess. We closed on that house. This March 3rd, I had a picture I was going to show you, it was Jane and Megan. God gave us house. We were so excited. Man, God is good. Because we wouldn't have been able to plant the church, we wouldn't have been able to afford to do it. We traveled to seven states. They just We bought a house for $331,000. The agent dropped their commission. The bank lowered it. God just showed up. He did it all. We've had that house for 10 years. We've seen the worship team, Tristan. We did worship in our living room. It's where we practice. We've seen God do miracles there. We've had families over when they first came to the church. That's where we did our Bible studies. When the church lost this building, we just got everybody over at our house. It's 1,100 square feet, small house. Last weekend, I had all my family over. There's 15 of us. Bodies everywhere. Luckily, Filipinos are small, so you just, you know, just stack them on top of each other. It's all good. God's been so good. We baptized Austin in my backyard during COVID. It's pretty cool. One of my best friends, he's not here this morning, but Peter got baptized in my backyard. We've seen God just do some exciting things. But the house was just a tool. We're all in on this. So tomorrow, Jane and I are listing our house to sell it so we can give more to the building fund. God gave us the house 10 years ago. And we're giving it back to Him. We're saying, God, why not? It was just a loan. We believe. So, what's stopping us? God gave me a house 10 years ago, He can give me another one. If God did it then, He'll do it now. Because I want our church family to know I'm not asking you to be a part of anything that I'm not willing to do myself. I'm not setting myself as a standard, I'm just saying, Let's believe God for bigger things. I'm not weeping over losing a house. I'm weeping over the goodness of God. I'm weeping over I look back on my life and God has just shown up. If I were to tell you what it's worth, you would just want to punch your ex wife. I mean, it would just be something where you'd just be you'd be amazed how good God is. I say a lot of offensive things. I apologize. Somebody said that's good. Wow, I'm a little bit nervous. But church, when we say we're all in on this, we believe. So when I say, hey, we're gonna give, and we gotta raise $10 million, if you don't give, i love you. That's fine. That's not what this is about. This is about we simply believe that God is gonna do things that are far bigger than we could possibly ask, think, or Imagine. Because I don't want to be locked out of God's future promises because of my unbelief. Yeah. I don't want anything to keep me from that life. And I don't want a house to get in the way. That's not my idol. These are just things. This is not our home. Our home is up there and it's gonna be far better than we can possibly imagine. It's gonna be far better. And church, I know we need these necessities. I know they're things, they're not wrong but we live in a Christian culture where sadly we see these pastors online with these beautiful homes and we think, well, that must be the godly life. The Bible says that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Birds of the air have a home. Foxes have a home. But Jesus said, I don't. I'm not saying that's the model. I'm just saying God is trying to show us a life that's so much different but it's on the other side of our belief. And my concern is that my unbelief and your unbelief will keep us out of what God has best for us. Jane, as we were praying about this, she was like, oh, by the way, I think I'll resign my job too. I said, I don't know if that's a good (laughs) idea. I said, I think one major thing in our life is good, but two, I said, isn't this funny? This is exactly like when we planted the church. You had just quit your job, and we had just gotten the house, and we were just going for it. Because I'm excited about this journey of just saying, all right, God, let's see what you're gonna do. I'm not saying to sell your house, but I'm asking you this week to step out and say, God, what is that thing that I just, I'm holding on to? It's that unbelief. The unbelief that maybe I'll never get a job. Maybe it's the unbelief I'll never have children, never get married, I'll never be happy. I'll never get over my addiction. I don't know, what is that thing? God wants to do something so big in your life. And here's the deal. We're not gonna see the evidence of what God does by my step for 10 years. It took me 10 years to see the fruit from that first decision. It takes time. So church, we're gonna take a step And today is our Vision Gala Commitment Day. God's been good. We've raised a lot of money. And I want to do more personally. Jay and I want to do more. And maybe that's where you're at. This is not a guilt trip. If you don't, that's fine. God is going to build his church. Just know we're not a part of some large denomination. Nobody's coming to give millions. God is just going to build this church. You say, How? I don't know. I just know that God has a house that He wants to build, and I have a house I want to sell to help Him build His. We have a room for rent if you need it. Amen. I'll be there. It's awesome. If you have your card, would you take it out? because I've been praying for 100% participation. Now I know some people may get worried. Oh, you pastors only want money. Hey, man, I'm selling my house. Leave me alone. (laughs) But if you would do this, would you take out the card and would you put your name at the bottom? If you've already filled out a card, would you not make a duplicate? Unless you say, hey, I'm going to change. I'm going to add something to it. If God's touched your heart, If you say, hey, yeah, I want to add something to it, then just say, hey, this is an addition, or I'm adding to it, and would you write the amount? So first your name, the amount, and then is that amount going to be one time, or is it going to be regular? And you could designate that. And then on the back, you can make a duplicate. This card is perforated. And so you could just tear it, and you're gonna turn in one card that has your name and info on it in just a minute. I'm gonna ask the ushers to come forward now, and then I want you to make a card for you. Jane and I have two cards. We filled out two. And we put them on our nightstand that we pray over. Because we said, Lord, the amount we're wanting to give is bigger than we have, so we've gotta, we, we're believing for you to provide. And so it's gonna take some faith. It's gonna say, God, I believe that you can come through And you say, I'm going to fill out this card because I'm going to take a big step. And maybe you're new to Southridge. Maybe you're like, I don't know about all this giving. Here, I want to give you a free book. It's called The Generosity Ladder. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to manipulate you. If you feel manipulated, let's go talk afterward. I want to let you know that there is something on the other side of our generosity. So there's a book. called The Generosity Ladder. It's free. It's on the coffee table or cocktail tables on the way out. Grab a copy. It's just about 70 pages you read through it. it. kind of gives our philosophy of generosity here at the church. And so right now, I'm going to pray over these cards. And if your spouse or significant other is with you and you're about to turn in that card, would you pray as I pray over what you're about to put in the offering? And then we're going to receive it. And if you're a first-time guest, we're so glad that you're here. If you want to be a part, that's fine. But I'm just praying that you know, if God said, hey, put $10 in, you do $10. You do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. God's going to build this church. I'm not worried about it. I know we're going to reach thousands of people for Christ. This building is going to be a great tool. It's going to be awesome. I just want to see if you want to be a part of it. So I'm going to pray. Hopefully you've had time to fill out your card. And then we'll receive our offering. God, you've been so good. I'm moved by all your goodness. God, I am so blessed. God, my marriage is blessed. The ministry you've entrusted to me is blessed. The friendships and relationships I have are blessed. God, you allowed me to buy an investment that has grown exponentially. And now I get to give it back to you. Just give back what you gave me. Father, we are about to present an offering to you. For some, it'll be the largest amount they've ever given. For some, they don't know how they're going to be able to be a part of it. It's going to take a great step of faith. But Father, I pray right now that this step is a step of belief that would put them on the path of reaching all that you promised them. Father, I love you. Thank you that we get to be a part of something so great and historic. We love you, Father. We pray that you would take this offering, and in the days to come, would you bless it, and would you multiply it, so that we can build your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers, would you receive the offering? I'm going to go through the announcements. We had several videos to show you, and so I apologize about going slightly over our screens, like I said, went out, and don't think that, oh, I know why the screens went out. That's just so we give more to buy new screens. No, that's not it. I, we think it's just a cable that we can replace. It's a, no big deal. But a few announcements. Next week's a very special day. We have 500 gifts that we're gonna be giving out to families and children next week, 500. Uh, It's gonna be a special Sunday. We're gonna have a day where we invite people from the community. You, we would love for you to invite your friends, your coworkers, say, hey, we're gonna be giving out Christmas presents next week, and children will get a free wrapped gift. They're really nice uh, gifts. And so we'd love for you to invite on your seat. There's a little invite card that says Believe. You could say, hey, come on the 19th at 1030. Our church is going to be giving Christmas presents to children. We have 500. And so we believe that we can help about 80 to 90 families with gifts. And we would like to give more than one present per child. And so that's our goal is to serve a lot of children next week. So take those cards and invite friends and family and let people know about it. We're a church that believes in reaching the one. And I know that we could go real big on social media ads and emails. We're not doing that. We as a church want to learn how to evangelize. There are people that you're trying to lead to Christ. This is another way where you could say, hey, I've been trying to invite you to church. Why don't you come on the 19th and bring your children? We're going to have some Christmas gifts for them. So why don't you come and be a part of it? It's going to be a special Sunday. We're only doing one service, not like we're going to do multiple, just a 10 30 service. And uh, it's going to be a great time together. We'll put out extra chairs, but it'll be a message that's more geared towards a gospel evangelism focus. So if you have somebody that you say, hey, I'm praying for them to get saved, receive Christ, bring them next Sunday. It'll be a great Sunday. You say, I want to help out with that. Excellent. Right after this service, if you'd like to stay, wrap some presents, we're going to stay. We have 500 presents to wrap. It'll be a big wrapping party. And uh, we're going to bring in some pizza and just have a good time so if you feel like staying afterward stay help wrap some presents and then on december 24th we're going to be doing two christmas eve services where we're not sure of crowd size and people's schedule so we're going to do a 4 pm christmas eve service and a five they're going to be 45 minutes going to be short our children's ministry will be joining, and we're going to be having the children in here. Plus, if you haven't gotten pictures of Santa Claus, we're going to be having a Santa Claus that'll be here. So it'll just be a family, a more uh, quiet, intimate gathering, and there'll be no children's ministry. There'll just be a room off to the side. So if you have uh, infants that you say, hey, where can they go? They'll be off to the side. But otherwise, it'll be a family service right here, uh, more of a Eve feel to it. And then Sunday, December 26th, will be our family service last Sunday of the year and then it's almost 2022. It's gonna be an amazing year. Jane and I will start officially 15 years of full-time ministry. And next year, we're pretty excited about that, it's cool. I've been in ministry for 15 years. We're 16 years old, so it's pretty cool. i we've been doing full-time ministry since uh, one years old, so it's gonna be great. I'm looking forward to what great things God has in 2022. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com connect.